We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. The human figure has been the subject of drawing since prehistoric times. I can confirm it is often most challenging and rewarding. Today's guest is an artist who does lots of work in male figure drawing. His approach is unique and fun. I am pleased to share my conversation with UK artist, Pete Shorney. Well, welcome, Pete. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the, uh, on the podcast. You're very welcome. You're looking very sharp in those suspenders. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's my, my go-to. It's my slibbing about gear. And as we get into the winter months and I can get to wear waistcoats again, so that's going to be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we did our call, uh, we did a, a brief get-to-know-each-other call yesterday on Zoom, and I saw your suspenders. And <laughs> I'm thinking, I think I want to wear suspenders too. But yeah, it, it's, it's great. I, I decided <laughs> to stick with a basic T-shirt. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, you are involved from an artistic standpoint into something that I find very interesting, which is figure drawing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so figure drawing personally is something I don't have a lot of experience with. Um, I did take a class at the Florence Academy of Art in Florence, Italy, and figure drawing with a live model was mm. a part of what we did. Um, so that was very eye-opening to learn about, about that. Uh, we would have that as part of our class. Um, in addition, where our school was, a live model came in every week at night and people could just come in, artists from around Florence could just come in and bring whatever wow. medium they wanted yeah. um, and people could draw, paint, and what have you. And then here in Chicago, where I live, there is actually, because it's such a large city with such a large population and people with so many different interests, uh, mm. there are lots of places to go where there are live figures. Yes. So tell me about how you got into that part of your artwork. Well, I was always sort of sketching and doodling and doing bits and pieces and even doing things like uh, sci-fi and fantasy art and all sorts of things that trying to find something that spoke to me and that, that I enjoyed. I enjoyed drawing, um, but it's often quite unfocused. And But uh, a friend of mine just said, I'm going to a live drawing class this evening. I heard sort of one sort of semi-regularly, which I'd come along. I think I really enjoyed the experience of you had a focus. You had a particular thing you had to draw, which in this case is a, is a human figure. You have a room full of people all committed to doing the same thing yeah it's wonderful to focus and i started to enjoy the process of understanding what i was looking at then breaking it down to okay but i need to understand how the body moves you have a physical person there so you can see the the weight and depth of them, excuse me weight and depth of them and then it then became sort of social as well. So I got to meet the models and I got to meet the artists and, and I, it just became a lovely sort of group and community that was so encouraging and so 
um, inspiring mm-hmm. that it kind of developed into, I enjoy drawing the figure. I enjoy drawing the male figure particularly. And most of my work is drawing uh, male nudes. Um, and I just wanted to explore something there that was, it has a technicality to it, it has a technical feel about it. But with the human body, there's still a softness. And I think I like the, it's not always a sexual thing. I don't think it's necessarily people go to life drawing because it's sexual, but I think there's, you can't deny there's a sensuality to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So the human body naturally has that. And it also kind of in a way, for me, it kind of throws off all that stuff about your own body a little bit. So you're, we we all, we most of us have a uh, insecurity of our bodies and a weird relationship with our bodies, but when you see a model that's not necessarily particularly muscular or just just an average human body of different sizes and builds and what have you, it kind of takes you away from those expectations of what a good or perfect body is. They're they're working. They're doing their job. They're yep. They're carrying the brain around, you know, they're, they're doing incredible, wonderful things all the time. Yeah. And I, and I kind of love that. Before you started figures, were you drawing from life or your imagination? My, often mind imagination, uh, or I would look at pop culture stuff, draw, you know, Millennium Falcon or Starship Enterprise or something like that. Something that was, I love spaceships as well. So that was kind of like fun to have a foray into that. Mm-hmm. So I'd make stuff up there, but that was fantastical. And and one thing I noticed, because I started posting stuff on Instagram and it would be like, people said, that's, that's nice. That's okay. You know, and I'm like, yeah, but I, I knew it was, there was something like a connection that was missing. It didn't feel, then if I was being honest with what I was drawing, okay. so I was doing it for fun. I had to draw something. And I would go to things that were pretty general and family friendly and nice. Um, but it, it, there wasn't, there was something missing. There was some sort of spark missing, I think. And what do you think, projects. and when you started doing the male form, what was it that was missing? Did you discover, can, can you articulate that? Yeah, I, I think the difference was the the models themselves because i could see a living breathing human in front of me and i would start to work with models on one-to-one sessions quite closely and kind of encourage a bit of a chat and a bit of a discussion and and i would talk to the models um just general it could be about something or nothing it Mm -hmm. could be what they're into, like to, to watch TV or they would talk about art and projects they've been doing themselves. And I realized it was that there was some, there was something in the back and forth about working a, you, with the model. You were making a connection with your subject. Exactly. And, and I, I think that's important to me. I can work from photos. I can work from photos that are given to me on the occasional times I do um, commissions. But talking to a model and getting to know a model and models become friends, obviously as you work with people over time. Um, and I think it has an effect in what I put into the image. And there's, there's a level of care 
and warmth, I think, that comes through. Okay. I'm connected with, with a model. I, I feel it comes through in the artwork, even if it's not always obvious. So you're working with models one-on-one now. You're, you're, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I mean, I, will st- I still do remote life drawing groups, but occasionally I'll work with models um, virtually as well now. When you're doing an in-person session with a model, uh, how, long did, how long did they hold a pose? Um, my maximum I liked, well, I've gone up to about 30, 40 minutes, but I'm also kind of, I'm greedy in the sense I want a lot of poses. And if you're booking them for two hours or so, I sometimes have to get a lot in. So I would say my average would be 15 minute poses. When I was at the Florence Academy of Art that I mentioned, and I got my first mm. exposure to figure drawing. Which I'm so envious of, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, you, need, you definitely need to check it out. It was, it was a great experience. And obviously living in Florence is amazing. Mm. And as a, and I'm a cook. So being, oh. being around all of that very simple cooking really changed oh. my cooking. But my exposure was, it was all long poses. So I mentioned that a model would come in on Thursday nights and they were there from six to nine and it was a single pose. Wow. So uh, like they probably had a break every 30 minutes, but Mm -hmm. it was essentially, you know, three hour, two and a half hours of a single pose. And then the other thing that we did was we actually had a class project where we had a model come in four days for, for, for the afternoon and did a single pose. So it was a single pose for four times four, 16 hours minus breaks of a single pose. So the expectations in the way that I, approached drawing the figure is not quick 15 minutes so when Mm. i go to model that's the reason why i asked the question because when i go to stuff here in chicago they they're doing 10 minute poses and i'm like what like i can't do anything in 10 minutes but i'm gonna have to learn yeah well that's it i have a a friend of mine runs a course and he does a and he knows it annoys me but he'll do two minutes of 10 seconds quick change poses so people get dynamic lines and that's the idea just to speed the mind up it drives me up the wall and i can't do it it's just scribbles for me and if it's a scribbles from my perspective i'm disappointed with what i've done even though it's not wrong but it's just not i can't get something from that yeah the more time that said the first time i did an hour-long pose at a session because i was so used to doing five to ten to fifteen minute poses i did the whole figure in 20 minutes and went, what do I do with the rest of the time? And it ended up being, I started to draw, and this is probably part of the purpose of it. As you draw negative space and some of the objects around it and some drapery and things like that, you start to notice another detail of the foot that you not realized. And then you start to take a step back from the figure, see it all in one hole, go, ah, maybe that is slightly off um the, obviously the model will move but there's still certain things that you need to do to do mm-hmm. is that does that make sense in the overall image because i think that's the other thing as well it, it's a time you need to take to see you have to look and when you have five ten minutes i can jump in quite quickly but you need a bit of breathing space to capture a figure's depth 
and to get the shading and to see the muscle and even see when they're breathing and the, the rise and fall of a chest or, or the stomach changes as they adjust slightly. It's fascinating stuff. And that's a lovely thing with a, with a live model. It, it is, it, it, it it's changing and makes moving. you, it's the changing the movement and it makes you concentrate. And I think that's one of the benefits of it. And that's one of the main reasons why I would say to anybody doing at least one life drawing class will change your perspective on how you approach almost anything you draw. I would agree. How has your drawing experience, your live drawing experience affected your other drawings? It's, it's improved my accuracy okay. and my need to find it. Um, what I tell yeah. people about figure drawing and why it's so important to an artist, and I tell this to people who aren't artists, is it, you know, being an artist is you are looking at something, normally you're look, <clears throat> excuse me, you're normally looking at something and then you are trying to map that, you know, on the canvas with your hand. Mm -hmm. If you're doing a landscape, if you are off a little bit, you're not gonna know, like your brain isn't yeah. going to register it. If you're doing a figure, you don't need to be an art teacher to know that it, if it is off the tiniest amount, you are it's going, like, anyone is going to know. So you're almost like a built-in art teacher. Now this causes yeah. a lot of problems because, and we didn't talk about this, but it can be very frustrating and discouraging because you can see your inadequacies as, a, as an illustrator drawer very quickly when you're doing the figure mm. and it gets very it gets frustrating very easily 100 yes however if you can get that accuracy down it's going to improve whatever you do as an artist so now when you're doing yep. a landscape you've kind of rewired your brain so to speak from doing these figures so that you're able to map it basically there's two axes one is you're learning and you're constantly developing new things but as that goes up What's going up quicker is your ability to recognize where things aren't working. We are getting better and we are learning and we are picking things up. But also what we're learning is you've got things to compare it to now. And as those two things combine, you actually find yourself going, this sucks. This is terrible. I can't, it's the worst thing I've ever done in my life. And you can show it to anybody else. And they go, no, that's actually, that's really an improvement for what you did before but your perspective to it changes. One of the things that you just mentioned that made me very excited is you just talked about the process of learning something new and where you're mm. acquiring skills and there's a sense of maybe excitement that you have these new skills. Yeah. But then at a certain point, you realize as you see other people doing the same thing, you switch to a comparison mode. So it's, yes. it's oftentimes it can start kind of high and then it kind of goes low. Mm. I find that in my life, in all areas, um, yes. particularly as someone who I'm always trying something new and I'm always looking for the next thing that's going, you know, that I'm going to be great at. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I think it's very common, but you always have that situation I'm finding where you know, I did it with my podcast. When I first started my podcast, I was so excited. And I'm a podcaster. I'm amazing. <laughs> At some point, I got to the point where 
I'm looking at other podcasts and I'm looking at what they're doing and looking at how they're performing. And I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm not amazing. Mm. I, you know, and it's this, this, but anytime you learning something new, you're going to have to experience that. Yes. Uh, But I don't think that ever really goes away anyway, because you're always learning even within one particular track you're taking or one particular area you want to do better in you're never going to stop learning um and you're never going to stop making mistakes with it and you're never going to stop uh just trying to progress and i think that's why that's important because as you say it's comparison and comparison always will trip us up it's it's never going to give us anything other than why can't i do it that way you don't when, think it could be you don't think it can be used in a way that is helpful oh yeah no i'm 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 saying that yeah i mean that of course but i think when we think of comparison it's usually the looking over the next desk going you know and i think that's what i'm thinking of what i when i think of comparison it's often been negative but you're quite right in it depends on frame of mind it depends on what someone else is doing it can also be very inspirational and there are two sides to that coin. It could be two sides of the very same coin. When you look at a piece of art, and a few times I've done this, that's so amazing. Oh my God, I can see how they've worked the colors to do this. And if I try that, will it give me more luminance to that part of the figure? Oh my God, why do I bother? At the same time, it's a weird, yeah. complex thing. So yeah, a comparison, if you're trying to reach for something, you do have to compare. Yeah. But also, you have to be a bit kinder to yourself and not be like, you don't expect to achieve it straight away. I agree. And I think that is a core, like a very key lesson that I wish I had learned younger. You know, there's many, you know, now that I'm 52, I look back at like all the things that I wish I had known as a, you know, a younger person. Um, And, being able to manage comparing in the way that you just described, because it is two sides of the same coin. There's looking at it for inspiration, guidance, direction, but also you need to be careful that you are not using it in a negative way. And I think that figuring that, figuring how to use that is real. I definitely have not mastered it. It sounds like you have not either, but I think that That is, I think that's a really important thing for people to deal with. Yeah, and the other thing is that's something that people have always dealt with. You know, um, yeah. it's something that, I mean, right now we have social media, so we have a lot of more, more visibility into what other people are doing, but that mental process, even before there was, you know, in the 1920s or whatever, people were still, their brains worked the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that that is exactly, yeah, it's no, I certainly haven't mastered it and I will be caught out with it. And it is, that's how I see it caught out. I catch myself out going, oh, and if I'm particularly struggling with something or I'm tired or, you know, a bit hungry, whatever, something just gets you at the wrong point and and your shoulders slump. Um, But um, I do think that part of it is that you just have to take yourself out of that somehow, try not to spiral. Or just rest, leave it, walk away from it and come back. 
let's talk about your inspirations. Can you tell me about your inspirations for yeah. the figures, figure drawing? Yeah. So as I started off with the life drawing, but as you start picking up reference points, I suppose from my, my youth, young gay man growing up in quite a small town or small village, actually, um, there isn't much access to it. So you'd see things on TV late at night and they'd be talking often about... Not much access um, to what? To, to well, there was certainly no internet. Um, we're talking in like the 80s, 90s. Um, so you so no access, access to no access to gay culture, not really, no, other oh, okay. than what would be on TV. Okay. So, um, we had a we had we had four channels, um, and one was channel four, and it was a lots of arts programming, and they would often show things like uh, Derek Jarman, Sebastian, or things like this, and uh, shows about queer culture of like. Um, the hanky code and stuff about um, cruising or uh, even things about publications and old imagery and Tom of Finland. And oh, the good old days. The good old days. So that's, I think that was seeping in, but I was still very closeted and I was still very ashamed of being interested by it. Um, but it was in my head and I, and there's something about that that's, it's sort of, underground in a good way does that make sense like it's it's our secret and it's for us and it's not broadly known or it's kind of um yeah kind of exciting underground yeah i mean it, kind of yeah and that's why i said the good old days because yeah. that was you know this is something that i recently spoke about on my a previous podcast with joe adeo an astrologer who's about 10 years older than me and we talked about mm gay culture, you know, when I came out, it was this secret special world. It was, there was no mm -hmm. mainstream aspect to it, which had a lot of negative impacts, but also yes. it was something that you felt like it was exclusive. It, it did feel a bit like that. And, and then I suppose on top of that, um, I very much enjoy, uh, the Victorian era in the, in the aesthetic sense of the Victorian era, but also what it brings is that's almost like tenfold where everything was secret and underground and very illegal to, to be gay. And I, I love something about that imagery of where you'd have men swapping around images of nudes of other men. And they imagine very uh, dog-eared photos of these swapped around um, pornography for them, basically, but they're actually quite naive and quite sweet, a lot of it, when you look at it now. Um, and that somehow kind of merged into how I approach how I draw, because some of it is that kind of the beefcake photography and, and, and that stuff comes through, but also this lovely sepia-toned world where a fancy world is built and layered on top of that is a fascinating fascination with Greek mythology and of course the classical artwork that comes up through that which has its own undertones of homoerotica so this is all kind of merged up into this uh into my aesthetic of trying to capture a kind of mix of it looking like a kind of fantasy world 
represented by it's sort of being underground and uh, a project I just did, which was uh, kind of through the keyhole type uh, pack, which I did, which was uh, amazing. Pack. Thank you. Thank amazing. you. Um, yeah. What the Butler saw probably speaking. And it's essentially, it's four uh, pieces of artwork of four different models. And they are reminiscent of that kind of Victorian ones, a, a gentleman undressing, um and an, another will be based on the greek myths and another will be uh, another mythological scene but sort of fairly pastoral background and plays around with those ideas of the classics helping to interpret the erotic and the other part is um uh the what the butler saw which is a series of mini cards of a model i worked with that was solely undressing now what the butler saw machines were if anybody doesn't know, um, uh, a Victorian device where people put a penny in the slot at the seaside and they'd peek through and there would be a, a video of quick stills of a woman taking her clothes off. As she got to a corsetry, it, you'd run out of money and have to put another penny in. And that's kind of the idea. So it's kind of a bit seedy and a bit you know sexist and a bit dated. But I wanted to flip that round to looking at this man taking his clothes off but the lovely thing with that is the idea is you're you're still only able to connect with another man sexually through the gap of either a device or from some distance the idea you could just go somewhere and do it they did have molly houses and they did have things like tea rooms and stuff like that but you still have a distance and a disconnect from other gay men and that kind of has played into this in some way one of the things that i liked about the what the butler saw series was the frame mm. so talk about the, the frame. frame yeah this was it was some, i just did, i i was putting this pack together and because <laughs> excuse me <clears throat> i always tend to make things difficult for myself sometimes so i i could just do a set of lovely images to, to send out very happy with them good fun to go i thought well the idea is that people could are, are kind of either using the slot machine or, or peering through a keyhole at someone undressing which is super sleazy and very problematic probably in many ways but it was a, a kind of to buy into the concept of it um to understand it and so i made a, a cut out and keep printable pdf that you can just make your own small frame where you cut out the keyhole and you put whichever card you want from the what the battle Source series in um and you can just display that on your desk or what have you and it's just a, a fun little bit of extra silliness really i, I thought it was so cute and clever and fun it reminded me of pinups. I know I suggested that you listen to the mm. pinups episode. Oh, did I did, you? yes. Oh, okay. So it reminded much, yes. me of that. Like it was taking, um, you know, fun, sexy male imagery and then combine mm. it in a playful, fun yes. way of delivery. And that's, that's actually, that's why I reached out to you because ah. someone found that on Instagram and said, Rick, I'm eager to know more about this Pete guy. Mm. 
Um, so I looked oh, at lovely. it. Yeah, he sent me a message saying that. I looked at it, and that's when I reached out to you. Oh, that's fantastic. That's lovely to know. Yeah, it, it was It was essentially, I, I thought, it, it was, as I was doing it, I was making them. I was actually going to print out loads and make them myself. And my husband's going, take a step back from it. You're putting in so much work and effort into this project. You're actually, it's becoming all about the side thing. But if I just let people do it themselves, they can print off their own thing. They can make their own frame. I just thought it was, yeah, it's just a cute idea. And yeah, I, and, I it, and, and also having people do it themselves. I think there's something about, in the same way with pinups, how you have to assemble the poster, mm. it makes people part of the experience. And it, it's yeah. a sense of engagement, which I think is fun. Yeah, and I, and I think that's one of the things that I, I do love um, how social media can work for it. And I, my Instagram account, I do enjoy uh, putting stuff on it. But there is a part of me, because I even did, well, I, I, I did uh, my own small zines ages ago of my life drawings um, called Gentleman's Perusal. Um, so I like the actual tangible. And I, I like, I would like to be able to produce something. I don't know if I have the uh, followership yet, or I don't know if I have that level of interest yet where people would be that engaged with it. But I want to create something, it would be like a book, something that stands out as something crafty and fun but also engages you in this kind of immersive victorian world in some way i would i'm still working on that i have um this uh uh edward gory did uh illustrated a pop-up theater of dracula which i have and it's lovely and it's got all the characters in there you can build the theater and that and it's just uh, one of those cardboard toy theatres. But it's so of its time and it's so atmospheric. And to, just to make something along those lines, to take the artwork away from a flat image to being part of something that someone can immerse themselves in. Uh, it's some things I still ruminate every now and again. And how can I turn this into something real in inverted commas? <laughs> well, when you figure out what that's going to be, you can come back on and we can talk about it. Lovely. That would be amazing. <laughs> Pete, can you suggest a couple things for people that are getting into drawing? Uh, yeah, I can. At the moment, of course, we're still in a situation where um, we're doing a lot of drawing sessions remotely. So uh, do have a look for, if you're on Instagram or, or Twitter and find hashtag live drawing, you don't even have to find things in your area anymore. You can actually find someone in your time zone that works for you or a time zone that suits you. Any time day and night, you'll find something. And the lovely thing is you don't have that nervousness of going to a group on your own or having to take a friend with you. you they're usually very cool groups. They know that they're going to get people from different parts of the world and they're happy you're there and just to, to draw. As a piece of advice for anybody life drawing, so I was talking about being frustrated with yourself as you learn, try and keep your sketches in a sketchbook, one sketchbook at a time, and date that sketchbook. So every time you draw a, a particular session, date the session, and keep it as a diary. And that's my best advice, because when you get to the end of that sketchbook and you're still questioning if you've managed to develop anything, look at the first page. 
Wonderful. And I swear to you, you have done, you've improved. Keep going. That's my advice. Wonderful. That's great advice. Yeah. I think that people just need to not be freaked out when they're not good at figure mm -hmm. drawing because like anything, when you first start, you, you know, anytime you, tr you start something new, your skill level is low. What's different yeah. about figure drawing is it's really apparent. <laughs> yeah, straight <laughs> it's away. It's very apparent. So don't freak yeah. out, but you will get yeah. better. It's like anything. It's like learning a new language. It's like learning yeah. to snowboard. It's like learning to make a pie crust. When you first start, yeah. it's a disaster. Eventually, you will get uh, some sense of um, skill. Yeah. Then you'll feel great about yourself. And then you can start looking at everyone else and you're like, oh, yeah, that's and you start, you start going down the comparison <laughs> spiral. But Well, I think the point is with that, though, is you're not, as I say, it's your artwork. You're not wrong. You're just improving. Yeah. So you're, you're not, what would be wrong is if you wanted to draw and you didn't bother at all. That's the only wrong direction to take. Yeah. Well, great. Where can people, where should people go if they want to learn more about you or see more of your artwork or, or do whatever you want them to do as it relates to you? <laughs> sure. Well, I've got my um, website at the moment, which is um, peteshawneyart.com. Can you spell that? Yeah, yes, it's P-E-T-E-S-H-O-R-N for November, E-Y.com. And that has a shop link with prints available and also the aforementioned uh, What the Butler Saw and uh, Vintage Joker series and Vintage Joker gift pack. And you'll also be able to get me probably the best places, Instagram, if you want to see. I basically post pretty much, if not every day, every other day, a piece I've done, a new piece of work. And if you have the patience and the time, you can scroll right down to the beginnings of where I started life drawing in the last three years and watch the development. And that's uh, hopefully might be helpful. Pete, what is the Instagram handle that people can find you at? Uh, that's at Peacock Pete and Peacock Pete Art on Twitter. Well, thank you so much for talking with me and responding to my thank email. You. Some stranger just emails you out of the blue and asked you to be on his podcast. Uh, oh, so I appreciate you not thinking I'm a weirdo. <laughs> As I say, I get DMs on Instagram about all sorts of things. That's not the weirdest. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> okay. No, absolutely wonderful. And thank you so much for inviting me on the, on the podcast. Really enjoyed it. You're really lovely to talk to you. You're very welcome. My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast.